This year, I am focused on saving and investing, but I still want to do things like travel. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side-by-side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending, which means you could end up with a free flight or maybe a better hotel room. So what could future you do with smarter financial decisions? Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. They've got everything you need to know about the listing itself, but even better. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools. And their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast where we discuss cutting-edge science, the wisdom of the ages, lessons from pop culture, and our own experiences about how to be happier. This week, we'll talk about how we can all find our own way to look around a museum, and we will share listeners' suggestions for the obliger who needs accountability, but also resists accountability. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, the five senses. I'm in my little home office here in New York City, and joining me today from Los Angeles is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, one of my favorite guinea pigs in my constant voyage (laughs) of self-exploration. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And Gretch, I was going to say, I'm here representing all obligers of the world. That's right. We've heard from many obligers, yes. Before we jump in, we got a couple interesting responses from listeners to highlight before we get started. Yes. Abby says, in your recent episode 419 about the five senses in regards to productivity, it got me thinking about the distraction of smell being seemingly uncommon. My husband is very sensitive to certain smells, and if there's one in the house that he can't stand, he can't rest until he finds it and removes it. Not just the classic dirty socks that got lost, but certain fresh foods. Cauliflower is the biggest (laughs) offender in our house. He knows the instant it enters the house, and thankfully neither of us like it, so it's not a common occurrence. This has happened so much with different smells, I've made up a new word to describe it. Smelt down. It also brings him back to earth in a whimsical way. Having a funny word for it. Listen, I know the smelt down. I didn't know this word, but my daughter Eleanor, when she was little, she could not bear the smell of a car. We live in New York City, and so she didn't need to get into cars as much as a lot of suburban kids. But sometimes we would get into taxis, or when we'd be in Kansas City, we would get into cars. And she would just, 
just weep in agony. And we tried giving her sachets to hold and air fresheners and everything. And even to this day, she doesn't like the smell of cards. But I mean, she just found it unbearable. And she would. She would cry and scream. And oh. and it was truly a smeltdown. So I get it. I love that term. And I think some people must have a more sensitive sense of smell. Yeah. So they just smell things differently from the yeah, rest of Yeah, a friend of, us, of mine right? said her mother had to move. Because she just, there was a smell that she could smell and no one else could smell it. And they tried this and they tried that and no one else could smell it. And I was like, well, do you think it was just sort of imaginary? And she said, no, because it was just like very specific. And then when she moved, she didn't have it anymore. So it was, it was wow. just, who knows? The body is so amazing. Mm -hmm. We talked about the very fun idea of celebrating a birthday by celebrating how many days you've been alive, not how many years have been alive. A woman's husband surprised her with her 20th day birthday. Well, I heard from Mike, the, the thoughtful <laughs> husband emailed me with a little helpful hack for people who are wondering, like, given leap years and all that, how do exactly do I calculate it, the date? And he said, if you go to the website called mycalculators.net slash entertainment slash age hyphen calculator, it will calculate all these kinds of birthdays to the each 1,000th. And I tried it and it's super fun. I'll put a link in the show oh, notes because that's that. kind of a mouthful. But if you were thinking that you were intrigued and you were wondering if like a big thousandth milestone birthday was coming up for you or someone in your life, you do not need to do this with paper and pen. As always, the internet will do yes. that for you on mycalculators.net. Yes. And then, Gretch, we're also um, asking listeners if they have any easy, fun, gentle April Fool's jokes to send yes. us. We don't want to really yeah, terrorize yeah, yeah, anyone. Yes. Just looking for those fun Yeah, a pranks. fun prank. I, I want to prank Eleanor as I do every year, and I'm looking for some ideas. We've gotten some really good ones. Keep them coming. Yes, especially if they have to do with the five senses. And they, they all do seem to have to do with the five senses. That's something well, I didn't realize is like that's how these pranks often work is they trick your sense of smell or the, your sense of sight. Yes. Yeah, it's very funny. Now, speaking of the five senses, this week's Try This at Home is related to the five senses because for the next five weeks, we're going to do a countdown of the five senses, counting down to the publication of my book, Life in Five Senses, pre-order early Yay. and often. Yes. <laughs> yes. So we're going to do this series of Try This at Home to like inspire us to go deeper into our senses. And so this week, our Try This at Home is to find your own way to look around a museum or a gallery or show, any place where you're looking at things. Well, Gretch, I love this idea because I am one of those people who walks into an art gallery or a museum and I don't know how to look. Mm -hmm. I feel very self-conscious walking around. How long am I supposed to look at something? Where am I going first? How close do I stand? I mean, and just the idea when you brought this up that you could have your own way, that there really is no one way was like revelatory. Yeah. Well, of course, as we say so often, there is no one way, there is no right way or wrong way, but it is easy to feel intimidated. And so sometimes it's nice to have your own kind of idea of how you're going to approach it so you feel purposeful and like you have your plan. There's a lot of really fun, interesting ways to engage your sense of sight when you're looking around someplace like that. I think that one way that's really fun, and I do this in the Met, is to look for things that surprise you. Because the only way you can be surprised is to notice what you're expecting and how what you're looking at confounds those expectations. And so it really forces you to look and process what you're seeing. 
In the Met, one of the things that surprised me was how often the Buddha is depicted with a mustache. <laughs> Why not? And yet I was like, yeah. I find that surprising. And then I had this whole way of looking around this whole section of the Met that was full of depictions of the Buddha being like, oh, how about this one? What about this one? It just gave me a framework for looking that engaged me. I love that. And then another one is to look for a specific color. Yeah. And you had the idea, which is fun, that you could look for the Pantone color of the year. Yeah. Now, so as somebody who's like the biggest color enthusiast, I love the Pantone color of the year. I'm always waiting to see what it's going to be. So I did this super fun exercise where I pulled up on my phone like a swatch of it. So I had like a big chunk of the color. And so part of the fun was to see if I could predict where I might find it. Like, was this a color that would be an impressionism? Is this a color that's like a medieval color? So I looked around and then it really forced me to look at paintings in a different way because it was a very, they called it magenta. I would not call it magenta myself. Color names are very tricky. And then when you find that exact match, it's just like so exciting. Like I found it on a Chinese porcelain vase and I was just like, that's it. Yeah. A quest is more fun than a jaunt. And it really got mm -hmm. me to like really notice subtleties in color. Like that one's a little bit too blue or that one's a little bit too orange. And it's like, ooh, it's close, but not quite. Or like maybe that would be a match. But in the context that it's in, it's hard to tell that it's a match because every color affects every other color. So that was just really fun to see how many I could rack up in a visit. I really did enjoy that. Yeah. And then another idea is to search for a particular element throughout the collection. Yeah. So when I go to the Met, I have a special collection in my mind of swans, skulls, classic, frogs. I have found only one representation of a frog in the Met. It's mm. a weight. It's a carved object that is a weight. It's ancient, very cute. I love things with supernatural powers. Many, many, many objects in the Met were endowed with supernatural powers. Like there is something in the Egyptian wing that is literally labeled magic wand. I love that. I visit it all the time. So that's fun to look at. And you know, listen, it's, as we're describing these, I realize that a lot of these are particularly useful at a place like a museum, whereas like a gallery, if you were in a place that was full of abstract expressionism, you right. wouldn't be able to look for swans or skulls because they're not representing anything. So you have to pick and choose. Yes, although this next idea, Gretch, would work in the kind of gallery you're talking about, which is considering the relationship of the title to the artwork. This is something that fascinates me. I, I almost like the titles better than looking at the paintings. And I have artworks where that's what I like the most is the title. So my favorite, and I this has been a, a work that I remember loving the idea of it from childhood, which is Charles DeMuth's I Saw the Figure Five in Gold. And it is like a figure five in gold. It's this beautiful painting. I think it's a line from a poem. It's beautiful. And then sometimes you see a painting and then you read the title and then you see the painting in a completely different way. There's an amazing painting by Helen Frankenthaler called Stride. When you look at it, I always thought it looked kind of like a bird. It's, very, it's enormous. It's very abstract looking. But I thought, well, this to me suggests a bird. And then finally I looked at the title and I was like, oh no, it's a stride. And then you see that it's a leg kicking out and it completely, like my eyes just went zip, 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 zip. 
and saw it oh, in a completely wow. different way. So it was really fun. So, and I think with a lot of modern and contemporary art, also sometimes they're untitled. I feel like don't don't say untitled. Give it a title, man. Yes, or don't just say like blue number six. Yeah, a lot of times there's just a series of numbers. Yeah, no, I love a title. I love a title. Well, we love titles. We're we, title people. We're word people, so we like the words. Yeah. And then Gretch, the, another idea, and this will appeal to many of us: find five pieces featured on items in the gift shop then go look at the actual pieces so go to the gift shop first love a gift shop some people are very sniffy about museum gift shops i embrace the gift shop i have a whole thing in life in five senses my defense of the, if you're defending the real housewives elizabeth i am defending the, yeah. the museum gift shop but i got this idea from a friend who said who travels a lot and she's one of these people that if she's in town for business and she has a free afternoon she'll like go to the local museum and she said that Often she'll go someplace and she doesn't know what's notable there. And she doesn't feel like doing a lot of online research. So she goes to the gift shop and she's like, every museum will have a few things that appear on every tote bag, scarf, mm. coaster, calendar. Mm -hmm. And she said, then you know that those are sort of the outstanding works. And then it's fun to go look at them. And then you know you've seen, it's kind of a more fun way to see the highlights of a collection. One of the things that puzzles me about the Met is one of the things that they show the most is my beloved the Great Wave off Kanagawa, the Great Wave, they have it everywhere, which is great, but it's not on display. Oh. So you can't go look at it. They did a special exhibit for their anniversary last year. And so I did get to see it in person, but generally it's not on display. So so sometimes you, those things aren't on display, but usually they are. Interesting. Interesting. Well, Gretch, Adam's family, you know, his sister Michelle is an artist yes. and the whole family loves art. So we go to museums with them a lot and galleries. And I have to say, I'm going to use these things because I have, as I was saying, found it intimidating. So I'm glad to have these methods. Yeah. Well, I wrote an article on my website about 35 ways to look at art that just is full of lots of different ideas, some more elaborate, some less elaborate. So I'll post a link to that if you're interested in more ideas. But right, I mean, Elizabeth, have you picked up any ways of looking from Michelle? Because as an artist, she probably has a very specific way of looking around. No, she just, I mean, she is so insatiable. I mean, mm. she just would, if she could, she would go to a gallery all day, every single day. That's her thing. So... I just think she knows so much that she just automatically picks up on a lot of stuff. But now that we're having this conversation, I should ask her, yeah. like, how do you look? Yeah. You know what I mean? And maybe it'll give me some tips. That would be fascinating. She loves to go by herself, too. So she just likes to, you know, it's just when you have that kind of passion for something, hey, I could watch The Real Housewives all day. Yeah. Well, it's definitely true. I mean, as you mentioned, the more we know, the more we notice. And the more you bring to something, the more you get from it, typically. And so I do think think that that helps you to see. But I do think, you know, there's an atmosphere of growth here. Like if you feel like you're engaging with your sense of sight in a new way, that's exciting. It's an interesting thing. It's fun to do by yourself or it's fun to do with other people. And it just makes the world feel more rich and more memorable because you're just really tuning into it and appreciating yes. it. Which goes, Gretchen, to why you wrote your book, Life in Five Senses, because you wanted to engage <laughs> yes, more with your five yes, senses. Yes, there. Yes, exactly. That's that's exactly right. So let us know if you do try this at home and how finding your own way to look around a museum or gallery works for you. And what is your way? What what ideas would you add? What do we overlook? Let us know on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, 
Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, you can go to the show notes. This is happiercast.com slash 421 for everything related to this episode. Coming up, we've got a very practical medical hack. But first, this break. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And, you know, Elizabeth, I now work with a team and hiring the right people is so important. It's maybe the most important thing. And LinkedIn makes the process of identifying and hiring people easy and intuitive. I know that when I've been hiring for my team, it's hard to find quality candidates to interview. And LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Elizabeth, I got the Flow Knit Wide Leg Pant. It's very light. It's perfect for the summer. It packs very easily. I recently went on a trip with my family, and I took it with me, and they were just the thing to wear on a really hot day where I wanted to be covered up, but I wanted something that looked great and also was very comfortable. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash Gretchen for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Gretchen to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash Gretchen. Okay, Elizabeth, this happiness hack, we heard from this listener. She suggested this idea. I immediately implemented it. I was like... Not even one minute went by. I like copied, pasted, opened up a document and started my own because I just think this is such, it's such an obvious idea, but I hadn't done it. Yeah. Okay. And this comes from Ashley. She says, I wanted to share a happiness hack that I recently completed. I added creating a medical history document to my 23 and 23 list. I created a document that lists each of my doctors, including contact info and dates of last visits, prescription information, vaccines, and medical procedures. Each time I go to the doctor or fill out medical forms, I have to look for this information in my contacts list, calendar, various apps, and internet searches. Putting all the information in one place makes me feel more in control of my health and will save me so much time in the future. Such a good idea. So, Elizabeth, if you're creating a Facts of Life collection, which is highly recommended, this is great. This is something that would feed right into your Facts of Life it's great to have all this stuff constantly updated. I know you're always being asked for all this information. Some people seem to remember it. I have no idea. I can't remember anything. But mm -hmm. here's my question for you, Elizabeth. Would you do this handwritten 
or type it on the computer? What do you think? Well, I was thinking I would just do it handwritten because I just feels like easier to me. But now I'm realizing if I had it typed and I emailed it to myself or something, then should I end up in the emergency room or something like that? It could be very nice to be able to access it on my phone. Yeah. So I guess I could handwrite it and then take a photo. That's another option. But now I'm thinking I would type it. Because you and I also have such bad handwriting that if the part of this right. document is that it might be useful to somebody else, yeah. it, it would also be searchable. I had exactly the same thought process. I was going to pull out a notebook, but then I thought, you know what? Actually, it feels more cumbersome to type it out, but I think it will be much more useful and much more accessible if I type it. But I also decided I was going to keep a handwritten one too. I don't know that I can keep both going, but I do feel like there's something valuable about each of them. But I think it's a great idea because it's just... When you need it, you yeah. need it. You know what we should do? Here's what Adam and I should do. And do it in Google Docs for both of us. Yes. And then you yes. it's easy to yes. access the other persons, which might yes. also come in handy. Well, absolutely. And listen to you Google Docking it up. I remember listening oh, to yes. all the episodes at Half Here in Hollywood when one of your assistants was trying to badger you guys into learning to use Google Docs. I know. And, and now you were so Sarah resistant. and I are Google Doc devotees. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Excellent. Well, anyway, it's a great idea. I'm absolutely inspired. I started my I started my do my doc, and maybe I will do it with Jamie too. I think that's a great idea. And now let's do a deep dive into listener answers. So in episode 414, we heard from a listener who's an obliger who tipped to rebel. And she experienced a challenge which is very common among that particular type of obliger, an obliger who tips to rebel instead of tipping to upholder. They often have an issue with accountability because the obliger part of their nature needs that accountability to meet inner and outer expectations. But the rebel flavoring of their tendency can sometimes make them also resist that accountability. And of course, this is frustrating because on the one hand, you need it. But on the other hand, the minute you create it, you sort of resist it. So we heard a lot of interesting answers from other obligers and also rebels who have come up with their own very creative solutions for this very common challenge. Yes. Kimberly says, Michelle's struggle really resonated with me. I'm an obliger currently striving to work through obliger rebellion as a nurse who worked through COVID in New York City while experiencing infertility and going through multiple rounds of IVF. When the opportunity to become a stay-at-home mom presented itself, I leapt at the chance. But now I find myself struggling with Michelle's exact problem. I feel like if I seek out outer accountability, then I will just end up feeling beholden to whatever that is and will turn into something I resent, even if it's something I want to do. I have had the most success by starting small and focusing on things that I objectively find fun. I also find I have much more success when it's something very easy to do, so it's not a huge change. One example of this is how I approached exercise. I wanted to exercise more, but signing up for classes wasn't working. I just missed them and just stopped even trying because of the lost money. I decided to shift my definition of exercise to move my body and got on the outside 23 and 23 (laughs) bandwagon. The best part about it is that even if I'm just walking a block to do errands, I get to count it as a success, which helps me feel like I'm accomplishing my goal. I find on many days, I'll take another lap around the park or do one extra errand just because I'm enjoying being outside. 
The amorphous accountability of outside 23 and 23, I'm part of something larger, but no one calls me out if I miss a day, is also super helpful for where I'm at right now. I think at another time, I'd benefit from doing this with another person, but for right now, it's a good level of accountability without tipping me to resentment. I mean, this shows such a level of self-knowledge and yes. working with your nature and finding the way that works for you. I think it's just, you know, lots of great ideas there. Yes. Allison wrote, I am an obliger who tips toward rebel and deeply understood the question of how to accept and appreciate outer accountability. I often use tips suggested on the show to consider it as part of your identity. Think of my future self, etc. A few other things I consider, my current mantra Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. This is great for routine stuff I have to do regularly, like vacuuming. When I want to do something and someone else mentions it, I immediately don't want to do it anymore. When that happens, I say to myself, who asked them? I'm doing it for me. I'm overly polite and a real people pleaser, so it's fun to have a bit of a I do what I want to do attitude, even if it's what they want to. <laughs> well, I love anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's a good one. Yes. Catherine says, I have found that thinking about my identity, my future self, and how I want other people to see me in general are most helpful. For instance, I would like to be seen as a strong, independent woman that is really fit, so I must work hard, stay organized, and exercise to meet those goals. When I took the test, it told me I was an obliger, and I was furious because I know that it is so true. <laughs> I make goals for myself that I often don't meet because it is a personal goal and not for the sake of someone else. I am a physical therapist, so a lot of my energy is focused on helping other people, which is perfect for me and my tendency. My husband says that my middle name should have been do it myself. I wonder if other obligers that tip toward rebel have a similar rebellion toward accepting help from others. That is such a fascinating question. I have never heard that or considered that. So if you have thoughts, obligers, send in my way. I found that a very thought-provoking observation. Uh, Sarah wrote, I too am an obliger with a heavy lean to rebel. I know I need and want external accountability, but automatically resent it when I set it up. Firm expectations trigger anxiety, especially as a due date is approaching. My spirit of resistance shows up frequently, especially when the request comes from my husband, work on a budget, for example. You know, I'll just say as a side note, romantic partners and sweethearts often are tricky when it comes to yes. accountability. The only strategy I've come up with that gets me getting things done is to brain dump a list of things I'd like to accomplish. Drop things off at Goodwill, do the laundry, get a birthday gift, etc. Nobody has ever asked me, what did you do today? But I like the low pressure accountability of the list. It's not a to-do or a ta-da list. It just gives me ideas for things I could do if I feel like it. There you go. Smart. Faith says, I identified with the listener who knows she needs accountability but dislikes the feeling it creates for her to have to answer to someone. I feel the same way and I realized I have a more enjoyable accountability technique I use whenever I can. Surprise. I love surprise of all kinds, so I encourage myself to get things done just so I can show someone or tell someone I accomplished such and such. Sometimes the surprise is for the other person's benefit, like making a gift or dealing with something broken that bothered them, but quite often they don't really care <laughs> except to join me in my obvious joy over doing the thing. It still feels like I'm preparing a great surprise while I'm slogging away. It brings out the energy of doing it for someone else or exceeding someone's expectations rather than trying to meet them. 
Basically, I'm acting as if the person is an accountability partner, but they don't know it. (laughs) So there's no chance of disappointing them, but there is a possibility of that momentary charge I get from any kind of surprise. So I'm constantly astonished by how imaginative and creative obligers are in creating forms of accountability that I never would dream of. And using surprise in this way, I have to say, this is, I've been thinking about this for years. We have never, never, ever thought of that. Brilliant. And I also think it could work for rebels because rebels tend to love to surprise and to confound expectations and to like surprise people with the challenge. Such a good idea. Yeah, that's going in the staple, Gretchen. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's a staple. Absolutely. And we also heard from rebels because, you know, rebels get this. They understand this tension that comes where you want to do something, but you also resist anything that is pushing you to do that. So Rachel wrote, I've been using many of your tricks over the years and have found ways to be a very productive rebel. One of the things that this obliger can do is to lean into her identity as somebody who wants to or does read. Attaching identity to a goal is really helpful for me. As an example, I consider myself an active and fit person, but struggle sometimes with motivation. So I have a calendar in my bathroom that's only purpose is for tracking the days I work out. I literally give myself a gold star. There we go. Gold stars. Every day that I exercise for at least 20 minutes. It allows me freedom to choose what type of exercise and when. But at the end of the month, I love seeing how many days have stars. I've been doing it for six years now, and it's a game changer. For this listener, maybe she needs to get some sort of system for reading, starting with a gold star calendar for every day that she reads. While a book club is ideal, I have never liked to join because as a rebel, I don't like the idea that I have to do anything. But finding books and series I'm interested in has allowed me to get through more books this year than I have in the past three years combined. So this is great. And I have to mention, if you like this, don't break the chain. If you do it in the Happier app, you could set up a name and track it in the Happier app, and then it would always be with you. So that's just, that's one of the reasons that it's in the app is that so many tendencies find this kind of giving yourself credit every time you do something as a very, very powerful way to keep going. Absolutely. Tara said, I thought I was just like the listener who believes she is an obliger who tips to rebel, but then resents accountability. But I realize I'm actually a rebel who likes having the identity of someone who other people can count on. I can do something when someone expects me to because I want to be the kind of person they can depend on. Once I realized the issue was not accountability, but identity, I was able to make that shift in my mindset. I joined a book club where we are expected to read the book because I want to be the kind of person who reads the book for the book club, not because they are expecting me to. (laughs) I make my bed every day because I want to be the kind of person who makes the bed, not because anyone expects me to. Understanding this difference really made a big difference for me. Perhaps a listener might use more rebel techniques for herself rather than trying to cater to the obliger side of her personality. Well, that's insightful. That's a good idea. Look at the rebel strategies and see if the rebel strategies you could adapt. That's a really, really good idea. And then finally, Corey said, I'm definitely an obliger, but I have always struggled with the accountability portion. I don't want to do something with an accountability partner because what if I change my mind or something pressing for work or my family comes up that I have to do? I don't want to do a don't break the chain because that task haunts me. If I can't follow through, I'll feel disappointed and disheartened. 
I've seen that thinking of things for me from a rebel point of view has been helpful. So same thing. Think about your rebel side. You talk about rebels needing to make their aims about their identity, and this has helped me the most. I am a person who is calm and organized, has helped me to stick to my aim of using my planner each day to create time blocks for the many important things in all facets of my day. I have started don't break the chain type challenges like making my bed every day with the thought of let's just see what happens. This is just for fun anyway. If I miss a day, it's okay because I'm the kind of person who could just start again. And lastly, it's more helpful for me to use my future self or my past self as an accountability partner rather than a friend or family member. It makes me feel like I'm caring for myself when I'm sticking to an aim. So that's another good so yes. this is reinforcing some of the ideas and also this new idea of why the future and past self is a different kind of accountability. Yes, I love all these, yes. Gretchen. Brilliant, brilliant. All right, coming up, Gretchen gives herself a tote bag to merit. But first, this break. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. As your kids get older, some things about parenting get easier. They can dress themselves. They can clean up after themselves, allegedly. Other things don't, like having conversations about money. The fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money unless they're actually in charge of it. That's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on their kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Yeah, Jack has green light. And one thing I love is that it includes a chores feature where you can set up one time or recurring chores and reward kids with allowance for a job well done. Gretchen, we used to mow the lawn. How much more motivated would we have been if we'd had funds deposited when we completed the hut chore? Mm -hmm. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash happier. That's greenlight.com slash happier to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash happier. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. We're so excited to introduce you to Great Jones. Great Jones makes high-quality, thoughtfully designed cookware that's so stunning, you won't want to put it away. They have everything from Dutch ovens to ceramic dishes to non-stick sheet pans. They've got everything you want. I have the Saucy, which is a terrific saucepan. It has curved sides. It has a pouring spout. It has a lid. And it looks so elegant. It's really a pleasure just to look at it on the counter, even before we're using it. Yes, I love all the colors. Yeah. They make stunning gifts that are actually useful. Weddings, housewarming parties, birthdays. It's the perfect gift for the foodie in your life. 
So upgrade your kitchen and replace those old rusted hand-me-downs with bold, beautiful, long-lasting pieces from Great Jones. Get started today at greatjones.com and get an extra 15% off your first order with promo code HAPPIER. That's greatjones.com, promo code HAPPIER. Okay, Gretchen, we are back with demerits and gold stars, and you have, I believe, what is a repeat demerit about tote bags. What is my problem with tote bags? What is this thing I have with tote bags? It's like they just multiply. And I swear I have been much better. I will be at a conference. I will be someplace. I will be at a bookstore and they will be like, hey, would you like a tote bag? And now I'm getting so much better about saying, no, thank you. I already have as many tote bags as one family can use. And yet I was looking in the closet and there was just this explosion of tote bags. And... I went through it and I gave to donate two giant tote bags full of tote bags. And wow. now the closet, I'm so happy. It looks so much more organized. I mean, to be clear, we probably still have 30 or 40 tote bags. Cause I'm like, I want a light one. I want a heavy one. I want one with a zipper. This one has long handles. This has all these outside pockets. This one's super big. This one, it says Yale Law School. So it has like a happy memory. And Elizabeth, maybe my tote bag things is like your mug things. I should just embrace yeah. this as something. But I'm like, why do I let them accumulate? Because then it's just so unsightly. Now, I did get a huge buzz, of course, when I cleaned it out. That's like yes. the fun part. But then it's just so cumbersome to deal with it and everything. I'm like, just don't take the tote bag. Nobody's mailing these things to me. I mean, well, I'm, I'm, maybe people bring them to your house and leave them there. No, maybe. No, I no. can't. I wish that is a good dodge. I wish I could claim that. No, no, they all, well, I will say this, one source of them is there are certain stores now that clearly this is part of a branding effort. Well, they will give you not just like a really light tote bag, but like a nice tote bag. And it's too nice. I'm like, it's not nice enough to keep it, but it's too nice to just toss it. I don't like those medium things that are like in this, this land between kind of the Altoid tin where you're like, this Altoid tin is so cunning, I can't possibly get right. rid of it, but what the heck do I do with it? It's like one of the great yeah. mysteries of my life. So a lot of them were those kinds of things. But I think I need to just be better and say to Eliza and Eleanor, too, when you go to those stores, just say, like, I'll just walk out with this stuff in tissue paper. I don't. It's like yeah. one shirt. I don't need a tote bag for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you cleared those out and you have... Yeah. Clutter, yeah. clatter, clear. Yes. I have I can see the floor of my closet now, which is that which is a good feeling. But Elizabeth, take us up. What's your gold star? My gold star is to Adam ah. because he was surprisingly prepared for our power outage the other day. So you know there have been these heavy rains in California. Yeah. And we, like many people, lost power. It was out for 24 hours. Can't remember the last time I lost yeah. power for 24 hours. But it went off at night, and so, of course, we were plunged into darkness. And then a minute later, Adam turns on these two enormous flashlights that lit up the entire room. I mean, I couldn't believe how much light we had. So between that and one other thing, I was able to read, no problem. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding? Yeah. I thought it was like you could find your way to the bathroom. No, this was like No, I mean, it was really a lot of light. It's just one of those things where you appreciate someone because I have done absolutely nothing to prepare for something like a power outage. Yeah. 
But Adam clearly had thought about it, gotten these big flashlights. Knew where they were. That's the other thing is you're like, knew where I, they knew, were. I know I, know I got batteries. these at Costco two years ago, but where did I put them? And it's now yes, it's so dark, well, I can't look around. Yes. And that was me because I was saying, well, I know like a few years ago, I got a solar powered cell phone charger mm-hmm. for the next day. And of course, I had no idea where it was. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I was just very happy that he was prepared and it made our time much more easy to yeah. deal with. Oh. No, it's so nice when you're like something got done completely outside of my purview. I had yes. I knew nothing about it and here yes. it is. Somebody's racing to the rescue. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay, gold star for Adam. The resource for this week. Okay, we're heading into spring and for some people that gives them the desire to do spring cleaning. I know that I certainly have that feeling. There is going to be a jumpstart in the Happier app. Seven days of prompts about curating your keepsakes. This is a very common clutter clearing challenge. You love the keepsakes, but you're kind of overwhelmed by your keepsakes. You can't manage those mementos. So the first day of spring is March 20th, and it will be in the app starting on the 19th. So if you are wanting to tackle that as part of your spring cleaning, it'll give you a lot of fun ideas that you can track in the app. Elizabeth. What are we reading? What are you reading? I am listening to The It Girl by Ruth Ware. And I am reading The Last Samurai by Helen DeWitt. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember, try this at home. Find your own way to look around a museum. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. And what did you try? We would like to know more strategies. Thanks to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, and everyone at Cadence 13. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Instagram and TikTok at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm on Instagram at Liz Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And if you like the show, you know what to do. Rate us, review us, recommend us to a friend. That is how most people discover the show. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Craft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us Onward and Upward. Gretch, I've been watching your TikToks. I'm loving it. Oh, well, thank you. It's so fun. You're inspiring me. Now I want to do TikTok. Ooh, let's talk about it. I think that's an excellent idea. From the Onward Project.